is a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Tomorrow's just a dream away Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart When it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away Hello and welcome to Dream with Mind and Heart. I'm Ryan Silverstein, and with me is Megan Bojarski. Hello. And we are your hosts, taking you through this chronological tour of every Disney movie ever. Today, we are going to be finishing up our discussion of Walt Disney's Cinderella by talking about its release, legacy, and our closing thoughts. In 1937, Disney came out with Disney's Folly, a full-length animated feature that they hoped would put the company on the map. And it did, as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs still has the 10th highest grossing box office of all time adjusted for inflation. In 1950, they hoped for similar success with Cinderella, the second Disney princess film, and the one that was bound to save or sink the studio for good. With us again is Chanae Kay, a current grad student at Syracuse University's Communication and Rhetorical Studies Department and former member of Audience Impact and Intelligence Division at Paramount. Chanae, thanks again for joining us. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be back. Looks like you never left. <laughs> so finally getting to the release of Cinderella, or almost to the release of Cinderella, before Cinderella was released, Walt seemed to be practicing some heavy self-sabotage. According to Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, he told various magazines things like, quote, the finished picture is not everything we wanted it to be. We are now getting our organization in such shape that I think we're going to come out with a real post-war production, Alice in Wonderland, which is now in work. It looks unusually good. And as for Cinderella, quote, that was just a picture. Which is really interesting because I feel like every other time we talk about one of these, like, you know, So Dear to My Heart or Fantasia or, you know, Walt's like, this is the best thing we've ever done. It's a new hive. Like, anytime we get Walt quotes prior to release, he's really doing the hype man thing. And here, it's almost like he's so worried about how this is going to go that he's, like, trying to soften expectations, which is what, you know, that's what studios do now when they know they have a movie that isn't good that they have to put out on a thousand screens. I just feel so bad about it, though. Can you imagine, you know, you're all of the people that poured your heart and souls into this, and he's like, oh, okay, everybody, I'm going to be on a radio show talking about Cinderella, and they all tune in, and it's like, so tell us about this new movie. Oh, we've had so many people put effort into it, and uh, it's picture anyway there's this other movie that's going to be really amazing like that's got a sting yeah I'm, I'm hoping that most of the people working on this like didn't get to hear it because of the lack of national media at the time i'm hoping that actually maybe helped them not know that walt was out there being downplaying how good of a movie this was and when it started screening massive praise came in so there are four screenings in november 1949 Director Michael Curtiz of Casablanca fame said, quote, the masterpiece of all pictures you have done. Producer Hal Willis said, quote, if this is not your best, it is very close to the top. So immediately the, the reaction was very positive. Cinderella was first shown on February 13th, 1950 at the Cinderella Ball in New York City, which was an, a, an event to raise funds for the New York Heart Association, which also, again, is another reason I think that blood pressure joke is very funny. And then it was released wide to theaters on February 15th of 1950, premiering in Boston, Massachusetts, for reasons that I don't think we know. Bing Crosby, who, again, we now associate with Ichabod Crane, promoted the film on his radio show and actually sang Bibbidi Bobby Boo on February 22nd. Over the course of its theatrical run, it earned uh, $4.28 million in rentals in the United States and Canada. The... Opening weekend was 1.3 million compared to Snow White's 6.02 million. And it has made roughly about half of what Snow White has made 
adjusted for inflation to 2020 prices. So a very huge success. Half a billion dollars is nothing to sneeze, nothing to sneeze at. And movies like Snow White that are just genuine, real phenomenons like that don't come along all that often. The actual numbers, of course, like any box office at this time is a little bit debated. But again, according to Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, it grossed $7.9 million and only cost about $2.2, which is definitely a, a profit for this, which is what was desperately needed. And though, although not as successful as Snow White, the film's success is reported to be directly responsible for the next 10 years of films from Disney, the creation of the, their own distribution company, the launch of the Disneyland TV show, and the beginning of what would become theme parks in California and Florida. And I, I really can't underestimate that. One thing I really admire about the Disney company in the Walt era, and I don't know if this is just Walt steamrolling his brother or whatever, but like when they were able to spend money like it was, on, it was going to be set on fire if they didn't do something with it immediately. And so the fact that all of these things start to come after Cinderella, just how we talked about how all the things that, that came out of Snow White, you could really see that this reinvigorated the company, I feel like both financially and maybe creatively too. I think that there was definitely a lack of morale, partially just in the world. Yes, there was a lot of joy that we won World War II, but World War II was brutal. A lot of people didn't come home. They weren't that far removed from the Depression. There were just so many different layers of defeat in the U.S. alongside the victories. And I think that the Disney Corporation had that as much as anywhere else, if not more. Their last 10 years was basically them being told, yeah, like, that is a movie, which is more or less what my reaction was to a lot of the package films. And they really needed to hear this praise. Again, which is part of why I think that Walt was trying to mitigate the damage with his little bits of self-sabotage. I think that they needed a win. And they had had little wins over the last few years, but nothing on this scale. I mean, just because we're saying it's not as successful as Snow White does not mean it was not insanely insanely successful and i feel like just culturally we don't really talk about this part of american history like i feel like we go like all right in 1945 world war ii ended we won and then we talk about like the 50s and so it feels like 46 through 49 especially are sort of like lost years that we don't talk about and there was this sense of you know almost a lack of direction or like recovery from the war, the depression, all the stuff that had been happening for the last, you know, decade and a half at least. And so I feel like a movie that is as maybe conventional as this, that is as sweet and as kind, but also has a lot of humor and you, we can call it an inspirational message <laughs> if you want. I feel like this feels right for the moment too, in a way that, like we said, at the beginning of our Cinderella discussion, that Alice in Wonderland would not have maybe been the right fit for. And I think that one of the other cool things that helped boost morale and public opinion about Disney was that this was the return to critical success. So not only did the populace love it, uh, but it was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Scoring of a Musical Picture, Best Original Song, and Best Sound Recording, which are Far more than they basically had over the last 10 years. It had been doing really well critically up to that point, or up to the point of the war, and then they really weren't getting that critical attention. Just to uh, finally answer the question that I believe I put in the minds of everyone at the start of our first episode on this, song that was nominated for Best Original Song was surprisingly bibbidi-boppidi-boo. Not the choice I would have made, probably. Like, it's a good song, but it's very short. And it doesn't say much of anything. Which I guess was part of the uh, appeal of it. It's, it's definitely kind of an interesting take when we know that 
Disney put so much on A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes in this legacy period of this is what the company stands for, that it's kind of funny that the nonsense fairy song is the one that got the critical acclaim. It kind of makes sense because I feel like it, it's maybe the most pop sounding in terms of like what music was sounding like at this time. I don't know. I looked up what it was competing against for best original song and maybe I'm showing my ignorance, but I haven't even heard of the movies these songs are from, uh, nor do I think I'm familiar with any of the songs. Like what one was Mona Lisa from Captain Carrie USA, which again, none of this is ringing a bell for me. But that is about an American who returns to Italy post-war to bring a traitor to justice. So you can see what cultural era we're in, at least. And also a reminder to our listeners that the Best Animated Film Oscar did not exist until like 2000, until 2001, just in time for Shrek to win it. So obviously, Disney was like the only name in town when it came to animated feature films. So, you know, there was best short cartoon, but animated features didn't get their own Oscar day for another 50 years. Hold on, wait a second. Are you saying that you've never heard of Annie Get Your Gun? Uh, wait, let me go back. I can say no. <laughs> okay, I... Uh, are we, are you looking at the right year? Uh, 1951. 1950 yeah. was so dear to my heart. Uh, right, the 23rd Oscars, yep. Can you get your gun with one, the scoring of a musical picture? Oh, score. I was looking at song. I was looking at song. Sorry, I was looking at all of the musical ones and Sunset Boulevard, All About Eve, Can you get your gun? I, I have heard of those, so I will admit yes. that there are some pretty big hitters, just not in the specific song category. Yeah, yeah, I was just looking at songs, sorry. I've seen Sunset Boulevard, at least. I'm aware of Annie Get Your Gun, but I haven't seen it. You were looking at the song section, which definitely makes sense, but the winner of the sound recording was All About Eve, which was massive, and the winner of scoring of a musical picture was Annie Get Your Gun. So when you said you hadn't heard of any of them, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, no, just talking about the song category. I'm not that bad of a cinephile. <laughs> So talking about the the legacy, it's well regarded, has a very uh, high score for critics on Rotten Tomatoes, as well as an audience score. It's a rated 7.3 out of 10 by the IMDb folks. And then, you know, it's gone on to become iconic in its own way. Uh, it was named as the ninth best animated film of all time by the American Film Institute in 2008. Uh, Snow White tops that list. In 2018, it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. According to Eileen Woods, again, now one of our favorite people, in her words, quote, Walt told me his favorite heroine was Cinderella. I thought he was just being kind to me because at the time I didn't realize all the things that he had gone through so that his life had been like a rags to riches story just like Cinderella. He also said his favorite scene in all of his films was when she got her ball gown from the fairy godmother. I think that was my favorite scene too, because after all her hard work and kindness, she was finally be getting rewarded. Cinderella had finally come through out of her troubles and was going to the ball in a beautiful gown. I think that was the happiest time in the movie. That scene was my favorite. And so I think, you know, we already start to see even the people involved begin to recognize how sort of special and how interesting things in this movie it's gone on to be a huge influence. Brad Bird, who we heard talk about the staircase scene previously, director of The Incredibles and Ratatouille for Pixar, uh, said, quote, for me, it's the best of the princess movies. They made films that were more beautiful and they made films that have, have better character animation or more memorable songs. But in terms of story, Cinderella is at the very pinnacle of Disney adaptations. John Musker, director and writer for The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, the quote, I always found Cinderella to be the most relatable, engaging, likable, and sympathetic of the classic princesses. You have such a sense of unfairness with her situation. That's a quality many people can relate to, feeling things are not fair, and so it's frustrating that you feel so powerless. Cinderella as a story and as a character has always connected primarily because unfairness is brought heavily into play and she deserves better. Your heart goes out to her. I think there is definitely something to be said for that feel and, you know, Cinderella being an underdog and Walt feeling that way his whole life and the studio feeling the way at the time they're putting this movie together. Like, I do think there is something 
really emotional about this movie that like I don't know that I can put my finger on any one aspect that's really getting there. It's just kind of all the pieces just feel like they come together in the right way. There's been a lot of talk about you know the kind of important events that were happening around that time period. There had just been a royal wedding. Queen Elizabeth was about to be crowned, which is wild. And there's been a lot of talk about what was going on to make it something that was appealing. People always kind of lean on the royalty and the idea of getting that rise in station. And I think a lot of it really goes down to the underdog and the sense of unfairness and kind of the, at that point, building American narrative that as a country, we were the underdog. We were the little colonies that nobody thought could go anywhere, ended up becoming a superpower right in this time period. We stepped in and we stopped World War II, although there's obviously issues with all of that. You know, there was this idea throughout at least white American dream that this was our Cinderella story time, where as a country, we had finally reached the pinnacle where we could be taken seriously by the world. While I know that there's certainly some controversy with those kinds of narratives, I think that that really resonated in a time where people were so tired of losing. They were tired of the Depression and the First War and the Second War, and they just wanted to get what they felt they deserved. They wanted to get the happy ever after that Cinderella promised that I think really resonated then and resonates with so many people even today. Absolutely. And I think that's certainly why it becomes so popular so quickly and then obviously translates into long-term success as well. Cinderella gets re-released in 1957, 1965, 1973, 1981, and 1987, which follows their sort of rough, rough seven-year pattern. Cinderella was then released on VHS and Laserdisc in October of 1988 as part of the Walt Disney Classics Collection. It was remastered for a VHS and Laserdisc release in 1995, which was also accompanied by a making-of featurette. Cinderella was released in October of 2005 on DVD, and then that, along with its direct-to-video sequels, were placed back into the Disney vault in Jan- at the end of January 2008. Uh, in the UK and Ireland, a royal edition of Cinderella was released on DVD on April 4th, t- 2011, to commemorate that royal wedding. The William and Kate wedding, if you're following along. On, in October of 2012, a three-disc Blu-ray DVD digital combo Diamond Edition was released, which also had a six-disc jewelry box set that included the sequels as well. Uh, there's a few other kind of versions on that that were then put back in the Disney vault. It was eventually released for digital download in June of 2019, and another re-release on Blu-ray that same year for the 70th anniversary. It is also currently on Disney Plus, which is, I'm sure, how many of you watched it. In March of this year, it got a release on 4K on 4K disc as a Disney Movie Club exclusive, uh, with a Steelbook release scheduled for August 1st, as well as a more broad release in October of this year as part of the Disney 100th promotion for the 100th anniversary of the studio. So I will say that's the version that I watched for this because the Whenever the last remaster was done, they had cleaned up a lot of the original film grain and actually had accidentally removed some of the detail work and some of the line work because it got picked up in the like whatever algorithmic video processing they do. But this was rescanned in 4K from like the original original film material and it looks incredible. It absolutely is stunning. It look it looks brand new. Uh, that version that that version will be on Disney Plus, I think, August 25th, I saw somebody say on Twitter the other day. And then, like I said, there's a wider disc release coming out in October. Megan, I see your note asking why all of these come out in October, since this was a movie that came out in February, and the answer is Christmas shopping. found another answer oh. as well, or at least one that explains this year. So as I was pulling this together, I just... It was October 4th, October 4th, October 4th, October 2nd, 
And then October 17th is what's uh, coming up this year. And that just massively confused me because it's not the anniversaries of anything. Specifically for this year, at least, uh, it does make sense because the Walt Disney Company was founded October 16th, 1923. While it wasn't an anniversary for the film release, it was at least-ish an anniversary for the company, which kind of ties into the whole the movie represented Walt and the company overall. Uh, but yes, it, it massively confused me why it was all the October releases. And then the film sort of has its own musical legacy as well. The soundtrack has been released on every, every medium going all the way back to sheet music was part of the original release for this movie. The Platinum Edition DVD includes a copy of the soundtrack that has several demo songs cut from the final film and a, a new song and a cover version of A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. In 2015, for the film's 65th anniversary, uh, there was a re-release of the soundtrack as part of the Legacy Collection. Those soundtracks are actually really well done. They, they also have a lot of demos, alternate takes, uh, a lot of bonus material, as well as just really nice versions of the original tracks. In the parks, obviously, Cinderella has kind of a big legacy. It is the castle for Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World in Florida. Uh, as well as Tokyo Disneyland. She just, as a character, pops up all over the place. There's, she's one of the most popular characters to meet in the parks, I think in part because her castle is there. Uh, so she's also at many parades and, and meet and greets and things. Inside Cinderella's castle in Florida is Cinderella's Royal Table, which has a, is a, is a restaurant. It, it's a restaurant with character dining, they call it, where the people, where they, the characters come out and meet you as you eat your food. So Cinderella is always there, as well as a, I guess, a generous assortment of other princesses. It's like an all-princess dining experience. There's also the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, uh, which gives children princess makeovers. So that there's a lot of Cinderella presence in the parks. There's also a carousel, which is uh, named after Prince Charming. So there's not like a really big specific ride, but obviously. The castle being the icon of the park and in fact of sort of the Disney company in and of itself is also a huge part of the park legacy as well as the broader legacy. So a question for you both is how much has Cinderella the movie influenced your ideas about the Disney parks? I know Megan you haven't been there but I'm sure it, they're so culturally present that you've seen a lot of the park even though you haven't been there probably. I haven't been in recent memory. I was there when I was a kid. I watch a lot of videos about like the character performance type things. And I've found it fascinating to see that there's been kind of recently a love for the stepsisters, especially people who can't afford to go to like the princess dining. They'll like go and be catty with the stepsisters. Like, oh, you guys are more fun anyway. Uh, which I kind of love because the stepsisters never get the love that Disney villains often get. I was deeply confused by the fact the castle in Cinderella the movie looks absolutely nothing like the castle. <laughs> because, you know, between the Disney logo and Cinderella's castle at Disney World, I know what the castle looks like. I know what it's supposed to be. And the one in the movie looks absolutely nothing like it. So the parks really confused me, I guess, about what the movie was supposed to be. Because the the park look is basically what, you know, like the, the opening, like you go to any Disney, Disney or Marvel or Star Wars or whatever movie, and like you see the castle there and that like, that's that looks like the park version, but no, but those don't look like the movie version at all, which I also always forget because I just that's how I imagine it. And so it's just it's really interesting how that sort of redesign has become like the iconic version, but everything else from this movie is iconic. I will be completely transparent. I never paid attention to the parks when I would go and I was just there for the fun. I was there for the fun. I was there to run around. And it was always just like, oh, that's Cinderella. Oh, that's Princess Tiana. And so now that I think about it and like you guys are like 
I had to pull up a picture. I was like, oh, it actually doesn't look like anything the castle. Um, and I honestly, I never noticed that because honestly, I'm just, I'm like, that's a castle. You could not tell me otherwise. It's big. It looks like a castle. I'll figure it out. So now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, wow, I don't really see some like similarities. So if I find myself down there next time, I will make sure to note that. But I actually never noticed that. I know that one of the other weird things with the park and just merchandise in general is the fact that Cinderella's dress in the movie is silver, but it's very much blue in most of the merchandising and many of the princess-like characters have it in blue, although I think they've recently shifted more towards the silver. I think they've definitely kind of taken their own spin to what the movie is from what it actually was originally. I hadn't really thought about that, but if you, if you had asked me out of context what color is Cinderella's dress, I, I would just answer blue very confidently, and I would be wrong. Oh, wow, it is silver. I'm sorry. I'm like having a moment. I was like, no, it's blue. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And wow, I think it is, well, it is clear, clear as day. And I don't know if you guys are like into fashion. Did you ever see, I think it was Zendaya who dressed like Cinderella, one of them. The Met Gala, maybe? Yeah, it was at the Met. Anyway, and I think her dress was silver or gray. Honestly, I'm still, her dress is silver. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like processing that. I'm like, no, it's, I just watched the film and I'm like, no, it's blue. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it looks like Zendaya's dress has like blue undertones. But it's it's definitely silver. Just like in the movie, but I would not I would not have told you that if I hadn't just seen it and been told about it. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, and I watched that like less than twenty four hours ago. Wow. <laughs> that's that's interesting. <laughs> and it's been a while since I've seen it, but the live action remake the one on the poster is blue. That's for sure. Very much. Oh, yeah, it's blue. It's blue in the, in the live-action remake. That's really funny. So there are two sequels to Cinderella from Disney. They came in sort of, I guess, at the midpoint to the tail end of uh, when they were doing direct-to-video sequels in the 90s and early 2000s. So in 2002, we got Cinderella 2 Dreams Come True, uh, which is a package film, our favorite thing. Hey. <laughs> it has the mice telling what happened to everybody after the happily ever after. So C Cinderella adjust, adjusting to her duties as a royal wife. Jock, the mouse, becomes human for a time and feels very insecure about it, apparently. Anastasia and Lucifer both get love stories. So interesting choices all around, I think. I don't really know much about this one, but I have heard several times that Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, which was released in 2007, is well worth checking out. Yes. There's been a lot of, like, every time I've, you know, watched, like, a random YouTube video of people talking about the Disney animated direct-to-video sequels, this is always the one that, like, people say is worth, you know, really worth checking out. And so at some point, I will, I will have to watch it. But uh, Lady Tremaine steals the fairy godmother's wand and goes back in time, tricking the prince into thinking that Anastasia was the woman that he fell in love with, which, Megan, as you pointed out in your note, gives it a very, like, Little Mermaid, Ursula kind of uh, dynamic to it. Anastasia then gets a proper redemption arc. Cinderella and the prince are, their characters are sort of enriched and developed. And in this, the prince famously jumps out a window when his father tells him not to take another step. <laughs> has become like a meme, I guess. But supposedly this one's like really good. It feels like a very, like, it's a wonderful life kind of thing where it's like, what if this one change, you know, changed everything or whatever. But it, it sounds interesting. I always love a good time travel story. I mean, obviously that one clip is everywhere. I love it. Essentially the prince... We saw in this film, the king basically says, like, I'll marry whoever fits the shoe. And I love <laughs> love that everyone always points out, like, there could have been other people who fit the shoe. They talk about that in the movie. The Grand Duke says, oh, well, you know, what if it's the wrong girl? And the king's just like, ah, oh, well, that's his problem. I don't care. 
if she fits the shoe, then then I get grandkids. And that's basically what happens in the third one, that he's like, okay, she fit the shoe, grandkid time. And I love that the prince is just like, no, but I actually think I like like her servant half-sister or stepsister more. I am not hip with the cool lingo, but I was very much part of the Vine generation, and all I can think every time I see that clip is just instead of the prince saying whatever he says, he just like turns to his dad and yells, yeet, and jumps out the window. That's very much the vibe that's given off in that. Spoiler alert, the end of the movie is actually really interesting because they are given the opportunity to completely undo what has happened and to get back their original story. And they choose not to because they feel like their relationship has been enriched by going through the struggles, which I think definitely plays with the idea of like, in the original story, they're both really passive at certain points. And in this movie, they really had to fight for each other. So it's, it's kind of cool to see one of the direct-to-video sequels actually really enhancing the original story. Yeah, that's really interesting. And to boldly be like, yeah, Cinderella, like the original movie, basically not canon anymore. Yes. Like if you, if you count the sequels, canonically speaking, the TVA has eliminated the original timeline. They no longer met this way. The classic movie does not exist. Amazing. Yes. I'm, I, man, now I'm, I want to know like what... Someday we will do an episode, at least on that movie, if not others, because sometimes I just need to know what, what happens <laughs> and give us an excuse to figure out, like, who was around at the studio that was like, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It's just a surprising idea. And so I really want to know what was going on, like how they got away with it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think that one of the things that really helped with, you know, the sequel and just the general legacy of Cinderella when we did Snow White, when we looked at Legacy, we talked about the fact that until now, where we're looking at getting a live-action Snow White movie, there haven't been that many adaptations of Snow White, especially from Disney. They're kind of trying to keep things contained. Cinderella has had endless adaptations. So I looked it up, and there's between 46 and like 270, depending on how you count it. If you count just any movie where a girl becomes a princess, it gets much bigger. Even like strict Cinderella adaptations, there's there's well over 40. And it's just absolutely insane. There are live action versions, there are teen versions, there are complete comedy spoof versions. And that is one of the things that I want to do with one of our bonus episodes for this season, where we look through some of those adaptations and how they drew on Disney and how they grew from Disney. I've seen all but one of the or another Cinderella story movies. And those really in you know impacted how I see the movie and the franchise. And I think that because there were so many different versions, and so many different versions owned by Disney, it was much easier for them to decanonize their own movie. Because, okay, what I'm saying is we need Into the Spider-Verse with Cinderella. I, I want to see Hilary Duff's Cinderella meeting, you know, Brandy's Cinderella meeting the animated version. Uh, I, I want all of that. Slightly jumping ahead to Cinderella in other media, we are actually getting a touch of that with the Descendants movies, which are decom movies. So the Descendants series follows the children of mostly villains and a couple children of the heroes. The fairy godmother has been in all, all three of the original Descendants movies. And the fourth movie is going to star the daughter of Cinderella. And they have officially announced that in the Descendants franchise, Cinderella and her prince will canonically be the versions played by Brandy and Paolo Montalban in 1997. So once again, Disney has said our original movie means nothing. I like this later version better. Uh, and a lot of people will agree that the 1997 Brandy version is 
arguably better than the original in many ways. I don't think I've seen the Brandy version since 1997, but again, it, it may be something that we should revisit uh, in the sooner or later future. Yeah, I find this whole thing very interesting, just how much Cinderella there is and how much the story gets told over and over again. You know, I, I think it's, it just says something, there's just something elemental about, you know, the Cinderella story that makes it so, you know, that people keep gravitating to, to experience again and again or to make again and again. You know, and of course, Cinderella herself shows up in various other forms of media, such as, you know, the, the Kingdom Hearts franchise and the Disney Magic Kingdoms video games. There are two versions of Cinderella in the Once Upon a Time television series. The second version of Cinderella's story includes the main love interest and one of the main villains for the final season. And then the king and Grand Duke show up at Vanessa and Eric's wedding in A Little Mermaid uh, as a little Easter egg sort of cameo. We actually get a lot of parodies that end up becoming iconic in their own right. I mentioned earlier, um, or perhaps in our last episode, that there is the paint parody after ever after. There's also the princess rap battle series, which features Cinderella played by Sarah Michelle Geller from Buffy, which I love, who kind of talks about some of the history of Disney and essentially argues against uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast that she's the best princess because if it weren't for her, there would be no Disney and there wouldn't be other princesses. Which, admittedly, is is a point you can't really argue too much. And then, of course, there is the SNL sketch, The Real Housewives of Disney, which plays on the Real Housewives franchise and also argues that Cinderella's prince was gay, uh, which is a reading that several people have had based on essentially the fact that he has absolutely no interest in women or sex with women for 90% of the movie. So it's just, it's really cool to see all of these different versions shaking up the original ideas. As we've pointed out, there is more depth to Cinderella than there was originally. Her prince literally doesn't have a name in this. He has been given a name by Disney. He's also been given the title Prince Charming. He's never called that in the movie either. He is literally the prince, one of the three unnamed princes of the Disney uh, franchise, uh, including Snow White's prince, who is now Florian, I think. I think so. And Beauty and the Beast. The Beast is never given a name in the movie, although he's eventually given the name Adam, I think, in a sequel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that much I know. That I could tell you. And then Sleeping Beauty's prince is Philip. Mm -hmm. But he does get named in the movie, I think, actually. Yeah, he's he's the first prince to actually have slight slightly a personality of his own. Yeah. This prince prince is his personality, but not the cool prince, just a boring prince. <laughs> okay, with all of that, you know, talked about and so much more to talk about that we haven't. Question for now is what part of Cinderella's legacy has been the most impactful on your life? Uh, so I'm specifically asking Ryan and Janae here, but any of our listeners, please feel free to share with us because there is so, so much to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it, it really is just like this movie itself and the like associations with, with Disney. Like, you know, even thinking about just the way the company portrays itself and you have like, all of these like little pieces that sort of come together. So you have like Mickey and then you have like Cinderella's castle and then we, and then you get Tinkerbell and like Jiminy Cricket. And there are these like pieces of it that sort of recur, build that association in your mind. So I think in some ways, like the legacy of, of this movie and just like the castle itself being an image that I associate with Disney and like what that means, I think has always sort of, if, if I was going to pick a particular movie from their entire history to show somebody as like, here's an example of what a Disney movie is like, like this might be the right answer to that question. Because I feel like it's, this is where everything sort of comes together because, you know, you have like all of the animation they've done to get to this point. And this is their, like, it's like 
almost like codifying something, like building that sort of house style in a way and figuring out how to make animation, you know, in a way that doesn't make you go bankrupt because you can do it a little bit faster. You know, I just, all that stuff is, is, is really interesting. But then like the, like the way it looks, the way it feels, the, the way the music is used in it, like it really feels like this is what the Renaissance was going back to. And so like in that way, it, you know, the, the legacy of just growing up with Disney movies and being able to recognize the similarities between like, oh, these are the princess movies and like, oh, like Jasmine is a princess in Aladdin, but it's not her story and like how different that feels and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, it really is that like Cinderella is Disney and it's in so many ways. And I think that for me is like the biggest overall impact. You brought up an excellent point where Disney is Cinderella and Cinderella is Disney. And I think for me, the legacy, there were so many excellent points brought up throughout this entire podcast. But I think when we were kind of talking about the idea surrounding Cinderella, it made me think and I kept thinking about it, like how so many people aspire to kind of have their Cinderella moment, but also kind of the ways in which it's not just and I think I'm definitely using the wrong word. Um, we had used it earlier. Like, not uh, sum- submissive, I guess, in a sense. But it's like there's so much to learn and how, like, Cinderella did have to go out and get it herself. And I think it made me think of that so much because for my Cheetah Girl fans out there, um, the Cinderella song, you know, the line in the song goes, I don't want to be like Cinderella. And so I... Kept, kind of kept thinking, and I probably will watch Cheetah Girls after this, another great Disney movie. Um, but I, uh, you know, just kept thinking of that line and how, like, sometimes people view it like that. And I guess at one point or another, I had viewed Cinderella as that. So, like, I'm having this conversation and challenging it in other ways, but also, like, appreciating animation more, having the background history of it. And I think just appreciating every variation of it um but also just really giving homage to the original it's just been something i've been thinking about i really like that i think that the cheetah girl song is now going to be stuck in my head somehow mixing in with uh (laughs) all the all the songs from this movie which is not necessarily a bad thing I think for me, that's one of the reasons I like that there are so many adaptations, especially ones that are allowed by Disney, because it allows us to see different versions of what being Cinderella can mean and different versions of how you can be Cinderella. You know, you can have it be you're being rescued. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You can have you know, you having to fight harder for that. All of the Cinderella story movies have their own version of a fight that each girl has to go through to get their victory. I think that, you know, one of the big arguments against the most recent Cinderella movie and the uh, girl bossification of Cinderella was that it didn't need that. Cinderella was always someone who worked hard and fought for what she wanted, but we've gotten this interesting legacy where that's not who we know the character as, even though the movie has all of that in it. And I think for me, it's, you know, I love fairy tales. I've read fairy tales throughout my life. I've read multiple different versions of Cinderella. I've watched a lot of these movies. And I think that the biggest legacy of Disney for me is that this conversation, this discourse around Cinderella and what it means to fight for your dream and what it means to get help. I mean, so many of us, especially these days, feel like asking for help is a saying we're incompetent. And if you watch this movie, Cinderella is not incompetent, but God, she needs a break. And I feel like that's such a great part of the discussion that people have been able to show in so many different ways. But I feel like I'm not answering my own question. Um, I don't I don't have one adaptation that's done it for me. I think that Disney 
whether they intended to or not, have opened the conversation about what being Cinderella means. And I think that's kind of the coolest legacy it could possibly have. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about all the stuff that we've been talking about, too, is when you think of a Cinderella thing, you know, like, you're going to typify it as, like, you win the lottery, you know, like, and it's this one big thing that, like, you didn't really, you didn't really earn it, you just got lucky, you know, not that you don't have to, I mean, luck is kind of part of being successful anyway, but, like, buying a lottery ticket, it's just, it's just random chance. Whereas here, like we, like we've been saying, it's, it's more about like at your lowest point, you need some help, you know, or even to just like get through things you need help, but you're, but you're still pushing for those things yourself. And so in framing the story this way, I think that's why this, like this version and the ones that keep that going resonate with people because we all feel that way from time to time where we like do all this work and, you know, we're burnt out. We can't catch a break or like the thing that we want is just not happening for us. And I think that's what makes it, you know, why the emotions hit you. Because, like, you know, seeing somebody win the lottery is not interesting or exciting, really. You're like, well, good for them, I guess. But if it was a ticket, if I had bought a ticket or if it was a different ticket, it could have been me. Whereas we identify with Cinderella when we see her going through all the things. And you're like, yeah, that reminds me of whatever. You're connecting with the the emotional side of it more. And I think, you know, that's one of the great the most amazing things about animation is that like somebody draws the thing on a piece of paper and like, you know, it moves you emotionally after it's been inked and put together and sound and music and all, all that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's, it shows you how smart they were about building the story, even though it took 10 years to get all the way there, that emotional core of like, we're on Cinderella's side the whole time, you know, I think really, it's just really smart. This is kind of the point where we would normally just say, like, is there anything else you want to talk about? I know we've talked about so much already. I want to start off the anything else you want to talk about with just two two of my little things, because I I like telling you guys about history and etymology or just making bad jokes. And so one of the things that I wrote in my notes was I knew the names of the mice and the cat, but the dog? I guess we just don't talk about Bruno. But um <laughs> it's so bad. I know it's so bad, but you know, between that and Silencio Bruno, it seems like Disney has like a running theme of just not <laughs> respecting Bruno. That's that's my joke thing. My my more serious thing for those who are wondering, uh, including CinemaSins, because I did listen to the Everything Wrong with Cinderella before this, and they called this out, and so I, I will answer this question for you. So when Cinderella gets the mouse out of the mousetrap, she says, I'm going to call you Octavius. Gus, for short. And CinemaSins, along with many people, go, how on earth do you get Gus out of Octavius? Those are completely different names. Which, admittedly, at first I, I also thought, yeah, that's weird. And then I kind of quickly came up with the reason. So this is, this is a fun reference back to ancient Rome. Which, by the way, when we are in the king's castle and he's planning the ball with the Grand Duke... Uh, he has like three books on his table and one of them is Plato. So there are references to like classical literature and philosophy throughout this movie, weirdly. My argument is that Gus Gus is actually a reference to Gaius Octavius, otherwise known as Octavian or otherwise known as Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. So yeah, we have... One mouse that's named Jack, and one that is named after the first emperor of Rome, and yet nobody's going to get that just by calling him Gus Gus. So that's that's your uh, tiny history lesson Easter egg uh, of the week. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I honestly never really thought about it before, so but I, I certainly appreciate that that insight, and I'm glad that Gus Gus proves himself to be as brave as he does by the end of this movie. <laughs> Honestly, might be my MVP. 
like he just there's something about that character that he's so I mean he's cute obviously but he's like timid and like he's got he's just got a great story and like an arc that goes through it in a way that like not that there's anything surprising about the arc but the fact that you know as a character he gets that much development I think is is really cool. Yeah, I mean there were just a few other things that I I wanted to point out. I um especially when we get in the travel to the ball there's so much great multiplane camera work that I feel like we haven't had a big showy one yet. And obviously this isn't as big as the one in, at the opening of Pinocchio or the one in Fantasia where they had like the world's longest piece of paper that they were feeding through the camera. But the arrival at the ball has a has some really cool multiplane stuff, including like we go in a window, like through a window into the ballroom and everything. Um, so it looks a big step up from anything that we've seen over the past decade from from the studio in terms of the animation. Uh, I also just really like the joke about the paintings and the way like it keeps pulling back because I, I totally forgot about that, but it actually, it genuinely made me laugh out loud. It, it's just a, a, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. It's just a very funny, very quick gag, uh, but it's just, it's just really landed for me. I was I'm I'm always a song girl, so it's always gonna be the the songs for me. But I haven't actually sat and thought about that, just because I was just like, wow, I haven't watched this in a while that I wasn't actually like paying attention to definitive details, but just more so kind of like watching and being taken back to the last time I watched this, which was years ago. Um, I apologize to the Disney people out there, but also, and I side note. Disney is Paramount's competitor, so I shouldn't even be here. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it was just kind of like, I don't know, there's something about, I guess just kind of the innocence, but also like just watching it and kind of feeling like, I don't know, my inner child from when I first watched it, like showed up so much more. And I was like, wow, like this is so magical i guess especially because now that i'm older and i'm like oh like yeah i could kind of learn from these lessons um that i I, that i didn't think before because you know you watch them and you're so young and you don't know about life just yet (laughs) Hmm. yeah i feel like it definitely kind of transports you back to your inner child in that way as ryan was saying that just like cinderella is disney like if you are going back to your childhood and seeing Disney, this movie will absolutely do it for you. So I will I will say the, the other favorite moment I want to call out that I, I almost forgot about is uh, so after the glass slipper breaks and Cinderella pulls out the other slipper, the way that they draw Lady Tremaine's face reacting to that should be a meme. <laughs> it is so funny because you can just see like just like her mind exploding it's it's like a great it would be just a great reaction reaction pick and it should be out there i agree the end of the movie has such good like push and pull it's it's not even between cinderella and lady tremaine it's between lady tremaine and everyone who loves cinderella like all put together where you know she's not allowed to go to the ball the mice are gonna fix it. She's stopped again. The fairy godmother's gonna fix it. She's locked in the room. Well, they're gonna get the key. Okay, she's finally out there. But you know, it's it's so much back and forth, and that final triumphant moment of like, you need a shoe. I got one right here. And how much that like shatters all of her plans is is wonderful. I I completely agree. That needs to be a like reaction gif or gif that uh people can use i also one more thing that i just want to call out going back to the idea that there was not that much detail in this film when it was there it was so good it tricks you all of the places that the mice can run around were so brilliant to me that like anywhere you see like decorative sconces or you know fun designs on a wall it's just a place for the mice to run out of like it's not there because they're rich or anything it is literally like a product of their mouse infestation (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, I love the way that they use, you know, all, all those different parts of the house that way. It's, it's really fun. Ryan, this is specifically for you uh, and me because we've been watching all of it. But uh, Janae, I, I will also allow you to do this just based on your broader Disney knowledge. Ryan, your specific question is, if you had just seen what we have seen up to this point, which is the better princess movie, Snow White or Cinderella? I'm going to I'm going to say Snow White, but it it's close. It's it's really close. And I think for me, it's just I really enjoy the dwarfs as characters as much as I love the characters here. I think that gives it the edge, but it's it's real close. And and you know, I it's hard to like I'm also putting myself in the mindset of like if Snow White was the first feature length like cartoon I had seen, it'd be pretty mind blowing. <laughs> so like I am factoring that in a little bit. So I'm giving the edge to Snow White, but there's nothing, there's no downsides for Cinderella. Okay, so the Disney princess line is a tough one. I know you guys talk a lot about original Disney and more at an earlier time. I am forever princess in the frog, so I am princess Tiana. But if I had to choose between Cinderella and Snow White, I feel like I'm going to go which one I can relate to the most. Honestly, I probably would eat an apple like Snow White and, and you know, just be, and be the one uh, to, to. So as far as I haven't done a deep dive and seeing everyone's notes, I think that if I had like a comparison between the two, I think I'd have a better answer. I would say as of now, Cinderella, because now I have so much backstory, but like my heart is always Snow White. I just feel like, like Ryan said, me and the dwarves, we're just, we're locked in. And um, just the story too. Like, yeah, I would. And I'd just be asleep until a prince will come. So wishful, wishful thinking. <laughs> That's completely fair. I, yeah, I don't want to answer the full Disney princess line because that, that one's really hard. Uh, I will say that we have actually had a few reasons to reference Tiana all the way back. Not that Disney was by any means doing a good job on that front, uh, but they had a character that was very similar to the alligator in Princess and the Frog who wants to like perform jazz uh, in one of our previous package films. On the specific Snow White versus Cinderella, I agree that it is so, so difficult to judge. I think I have to go Cinderella because there's just so much more, I think, to her character than there is Snow White. I feel like Snow White was built to be any child. And we basically just see a child being repeatedly threatened and go, yeah, that's that's a bad thing. I would like her to not be in danger. Whereas Cinderella has so many kind of layers to her personality, I think, that we can really see in the sarcasm and in the fact that she is working so hard for the family and doesn't, and she resents the way they treat her, but not the work that she has to do is hard. And not that this is answering the question, but going back to what you were saying about the like sleep until the prince shows up and like makes things better. I... I'm immediately thinking of yet another fairy tale YouTube video where I can't, I think it's Pixel Playhouse, but it could be something else. Or they were explaining, like, oh, the villains aren't that bad. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could just, like, fall asleep and wake up and true love is there? And, like, life would be so much easier if you didn't have to put up with all of the garbage. So I, I completely appreciate the idea of just being like well i'm gonna eat an apple and if that you know leaves me asleep for however long that that's not the worst thing in the world but since that's not an option for me i think i resonate more with cinderella don't we all wish it was an option but yeah now i mean i think that if and it's been a while since i've watched Snow white as well but i think watching cinderella i appreciate like uh, I said earlier, so many of the lessons. Yeah. 
I'm gonna be changing my answer. Don't even worry <laughs> about it. Um, I think it's it's gonna love you, Snow White. But actually, yeah, I think Cinderella. Because watching it, I was like, okay, like this actually has like a a meaning that can transcend transcend no matter what age you are. And you know, maybe we all just need to lose a shoe. <laughs> and, and maybe, and maybe that is. And maybe that's just how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> One of the other adaptations of Cinderella that I think is really interesting is in Into the Woods, which is much more based on like the traditional stories rather than the Disney version. Uh, but when she loses the shoe, it's actually like a conscious decision where essentially the, the prince spreads tar and traps her, uh, which is in some of the original stories. I love that she has this whole internal monologue where she's like, you know, I don't want to be a servant in my house forever. I'm not sure I want to be a princess. And honestly, life is hard and confusing and I don't know what I want. I'm just going to leave my shoe here. And if something happens, it happens. And that's just supremely relatable to me that it's, it's somehow both more active and more passive that she chooses to leave the shoe because she cannot make a decision. That that is just another layer of the like, who is Cinderella and what does that mean to us? Uh, that I think is so great about all of the adaptations. Yeah, and as we talked about earlier, we'll be doing a, a deeper dive on some different versions of Cinderella as a bonus episode at the end of the season. Next time on Dream With Mind and Heart, we voyage to England, where Walt ran away to, to avoid potential problems with Cinderella, while we, you know, explore some pirates to the Caribbean. In the meantime, you can email us at dreamwithmindandheart at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, DreamMindHeart, and on Instagram at DreamWithMindAndHeart. Thanks to Rosalie Kicks for our artwork, Honey Badger's Folk for our theme song, and our editor, Tessa Suela.